Hello, I'm Bonnie Snowden, ex-corporate person and mother turned successful artist entrepreneur. It wasn't that long ago though that I lacked the confidence, vision and support network to focus on growing my dream business. Fast forward past many life curveballs, waves of self-doubt and so many lessons learned and you'll see Ignite, my thriving online coloured pencil artist community. A community that changes members' lives for the better and gives me freedom to live abundantly whilst doing what I love and spending quality time with my beloved family and dogs. All whilst creating my best artwork with coloured pencils and mentoring others to do the same. But this life wasn't always how it was for me. It used to only exist in my imagination. I've created the It's a Bonnie Old Life podcast to help increase people's confidence, share mine and my community's experience and hope through fascinating personal stories, champion the other amazing humans in my personal, professional and membership community and create another channel through which I can support others to realise their dreams. If you're a passionate coloured pencil artist or an aspiring one who's looking to create their best work and a joyful life you love, you're in the right place. Grab a cuppa and a custard cream. Let's get cracking. I felt really honoured to be speaking to my next guest. She's someone I admire and continue to admire for her authenticity and how she fits her home life around her business. Her love of what she does comes through in everything and she's not afraid to speak up about things and do things slightly differently. We talk about all sorts of different things in our chat, but I think what comes across the most is her total passion for wildlife and the legacy that she wants to create. That is really special. I'm absolutely delighted to introduce you to Carla Grace. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Carla. Oh, God, I am so excited. I can't tell you. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I just thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, you know, it, it's so, so nice to, to speak to you, having been a, a huge fan of yours for so long. Um, thank you. It, is it quite late for you in the evening? Um, it's not too late. So it's only about 730 in the evening oh right oh that's not too bad yeah not too bad so the kids have just gone down like Emily mm. nodded off about 10 minutes ago because I'm a bit I'm a bit flushed because I was <laughs> rushing to get her into bed and the husband put Will to bed so oh, everyone's God. happy <laughs> oh that's good are they quite good are they quite good at, at going to bed usually well mm. Emily's Will is really good Will is a bit is he your he's your youngest he is yes <laughs> yeah oh gosh yeah he's two now so terrible twos or or, or not so terrible. He's, uh he's learning he's a bit more independent than he used to be so um we'll see how we go but yeah. I think he's just totally different personality to Emily yeah so put the screen there all right I it's, think I am set um, up enough Oh, <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? You know, when you have children and you, you have your first child, I don't know whether you were the same, but you have your first child and you just, and it changes your life so utterly and completely, even though mm. you, you know, you're like, no, it's not going to change my mind and my life and everything's going to be the same. And it's just like, oh my goodness, you've got this, this extra being that you have to sort of, you know, do everything for. And then when the second mm. one comes along, I was like, oh, well, this is easy. <laughs> because <laughs> it's been it nice. my second one was so much harder than my first oh, one because really? he so she had no she had no issues she was regular sleeping pattern all that sort of stuff he um like as soon as his teeth started to come through he was just ear infection after ear infection so he had grommets and his adenoids done and he just he basically didn't sleep the first 18 months so oh, no, um, no. he's better now though yeah, <laughs> so now yeah. it's good so how did you cope with that because obviously you you know you're a working a working mum you know how did you manage to get your art in um with Emily Thankfully, I was able to just keep working. Like she was great. I could have her in the studio with me and she would sleep regularly and she would sleep all through well, through the night, wake up for feeds and stuff. But with Will, I had to stop working. I had to go on leave. So from about, I think he was maybe three months old, I was like, oh, he's really great. Um, I could go back to work. I started working again. And then got to four months old and he started getting teeth and it just all I just I tried for two months and I was so sleep deprived mm. that I had to um first I tried scaling back everything and then I just had to go on leave and I think I went on leave for like two months 
And then we started his antibiotics and his eardrops and the ENT specialist stuff. And it took about a year. Yeah, I could only really work on a very limited capacity. And he started going to daycare, I think he was about five or six months, like just for one or two days during the week, just to give myself a break and to try and get some, so I could work like maybe two, two or three days a week till he was about 10 months old or so. And then I think we decided he could go in full time because he just loved it. Yeah. Very social child. So once he started daycare full time, then I could get back into the, get back into the studio. But without that, I just had to. Yeah. And of course it's not, you know, when you're a full-time artist, it's not just the love of, of, of painting, you know, that that you'll miss, but it's, that is the income as well. Exactly. Yeah. And now, so my husband has joined Carla Grace Art. So I now employ my husband. So now I'm the only income earner (laughs) and I'm trying to earn the income for two people. Um, So yeah, it's, it's stressful and it's, a big responsibility I never imagined so I was never raised to be the business income earner I was raised to be that um servant heart mother wife the perfect housekeeper kind of a thing and when I left home I just through going to university and stuff I just figured out that this wasn't me like I just I'm not that person even in my relationships I like I just I was a little bit more independent than how I was raised to be and so yeah this is it feels good it feels right we're a good team and Mm. so far so good he's really great at like setting things up so like he's taking on all those projects that I've wanted to do like a a 360 degree like you know those virtual experiences of the studio because everyone has been asking me like what brushes what medium what projector what easel like you know all the stuff that I use so I was like well if we could do one of those like virtual like tours of the studio where they click on a cupboard and they can go through all the items in the cupboard and find where I got them and why I like them or why I don't recommend them that would be awesome he's like yeah that's a great idea I know someone who can help with that so he's like taking over projects that are just like don't make sense for me to do because it would take so long so it's working well because he's doing all the other stuff not the art stuff (laughs) I I find that a lot of artists do try and do everything all themselves Uh, sometimes it's it's because of its you know necessity you you literally you have to do you have to do that because you can't afford help or whatever Mm. but then I do find that there are lots of people who really can't relinquish that control and they Mm. You know, and and a lot of the time, yeah, they have to do it all. But a lot of the time, Mm. that then stops them from doing the stuff that they're really good at. Yeah, you found it sort of quite easy then to almost delegate some of the stuff. Yeah, so (laughs) easy. Like (laughs) it's just like I just I think about because I I'm like I'm I tend to overthink. Well, not overthink. I'm very detail orientated. So Mm. I think about a project, but in every sense of the project I don't I don't just make the plan and then go say to someone make that happen like I think of every stage and that's what I'm thinking about all day every day so like there's this mental it's like a sap on my brain because I'm planning it I'm making up all these great ideas and how it'll happen and I know exactly how I want to do a project but then I just I can't do it because I just don't have the time that's not that's not what I should be doing like I could do it and in the past, I've taught myself to do everything that I needed to because I didn't have anyone else. Mm. And so now <laughs> I just say, hey, this is my idea, ba 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 ba. And then he takes it and he runs with it. So mm-hmm. it's like a, a weight has been taken off my shoulders, my mind, my mental capacity. Like there's just so much less clutter in my head. Mm. And he's only really been on the team of one um for like a month now where he's actually um been doing stuff for me so like he's doing a lot of the background things that needed to be fixed because my my Facebook page got hacked and stolen so I lost over 200,000 followers and so now we are having to look at the background system processes like email marketing and like newsletters and things that 
I didn't necessarily have to pursue because I had the avenue of a really solid social media platform to keep everyone informed. So he's taken over that side of things as well. <laughs> Except now whenever I send an email out, I get some messages on social, on Instagram being like, is this really you or is someone oh, hacked your email you know, it's so It is so hard, isn't it? And, and I think yeah. people are, are, are rightly incredibly cautious, you know, when they get, yeah. when they get, well, on social media and also, when, but email marketing has become more and more and more important over mm. these few years because yeah. of the fact that, you know, as much as we have that two-step authentication and everything like that mm. on our social media, it is so easy for somebody to hack in. Absolutely. And that's how they didn't get through my um, two-factor authentication or anything. Mm. They got through what's called a backdoor link. So like IT support and stuff have access to this like backdoor link to the admin of Facebook meta ad accounts, especially for verified accounts. Mm. And that's how they did it. They so it was like a podcast, like what we're doing, which is what I do. I do podcasts with um with other creative groups. And so it was it was on that format. And through the call, they got me to link to their event, and that's how they got in. So oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, frustrating. <laughs> but but I mean, I, I always think these things, you know, they happen for a reason and and clearly yeah. setting up the email marketing. I mean, you know, I I do a I do a lot of email marketing. I have a newsletter that goes out every week. And actually it's been it's been brilliant for me to be able to yeah. connect with people and it's mine and it belongs to me. And Meta can't come along and you know say, no, you're not allowed to do that. And yeah, you've got to you've got to have good messaging for it to 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 actually drop in somebody's yeah. email uh, thing. But it's been a it's been quite a big learning curve for me and my development, you know, as, as a business owner. So it's it's probably a it's not a good thing, but good yeah. come from. What it. would you say would be the most important sort of like elements to having a successful like email response, like the way people mm-hmm. respond to your emails? What would be like I don't know, one or two features that you'd say would be? So I think having having good messaging, yep. also making sure that where your email comes from is a is a sort of like a, a verified account. So it's not yep. it's not some sort of random email, you know. Yeah. Um, yep. I think regularity is really key. And just making sure that, you know, whatever your title is, it's something that's relevant. Yeah. You know. Yep. I think, I mean, I get, a, you're probably the same. I, I kind of sign up to all sorts of emails and different bits and pieces. And some of the the the, the headings that come through, I'm like, well, I'm not opening that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think, I think being, and, and once you get people understanding that you're, you're sending stuff out on a regular basis and then tag that into your, yeah. uh, your social media as well, so that people know that, that there's a newsletter coming and what have you. It's really nice because, again, you can send stuff that you wouldn't necessarily put on social media. It's more for mm. your, you know, for the people who want to kind of join you on your on your email. And there's there's all sorts of things that you can do, you know, in there. But I think, yeah, yeah. the messaging is really key. Yeah. Yeah. Having said right, so it doesn't sound yeah, spammy, or, spammy <laughs> or, or, or yeah. clickbaity. And the other thing yeah. as well, which I'm yeah. sure your husband will be doing, is is really keeping an eye on the on the click rate and the open rates. You know, you'll look at the open rates and the click rate, and you probably go, "Oh my goodness!" You know, no, nobody's opening anything. Mm. But actually, the standard, the the industry standard for open and click rates is really low. Yeah. Right. You know, so if you're getting twenty percent open rates and up, that's really yeah. that's really good um you know so it's it's kind of just kind of understanding those sorts of things as well but yeah yeah I think I think you know having that that email list that marketing list is is really key yeah 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 thank you that's very helpful (laughs) well I've learned all of this stuff I was like I always thought I was good at marketing yeah yeah I was like oh yeah I'm good at marketing and then all of a sudden I'm I'm thrown into the sort of depths of email marketing and like the membership and it's like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to take on. So I'm happy not to have that yeah. load on my mind at yeah. the moment, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing you, do you work on a couple of projects at the same time or do you just sort of have one go? Because you've got mm. to link them in between, don't you? 
I tend to prefer working on one project at a time. I like to see something from start to finish. The issue with just I'm working on one really large piece at the moment, which is a little bit more experimental, something that I don't usually do. It takes a really long time to finish. So every day content is same, 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 same. So once a week or so, I'll try and do like a little painting challenge, which... Yeah, so like a little acrylic mini portrait, which is just a standard wildlife portrait. And that, like, that's great. But like, I also, I struggle stopping the other projects. So I have to have two palettes, one for my big projects and then one for the in-between stuff. But then that little piece, I'll start and I'll finish before I go back to doing that big piece. So unfortunately, yeah, I, I probably could start working on more things at a time. I just, I struggle with the, I think the mess and the incompleteness in the studio. <laughs> it's, for me, I, I tend to work on one one piece at a time. Mine's obviously, it, it it's quicker than yours, obviously, because it's a dry medium. My whole headspace is in that one piece. And I struggle, yeah. if I take something off my drawing board, I struggle then to put it back on again. Because my headspace yeah, right. is gone. Goes to another thing. Yeah. I think. I think I don't, I don't think I really get into a headspace like for a specific piece. I am more motivated for like the overall concept of a series or a collection. And then the individual piece is based off of that original vision. And then I can happily put a piece down and then come back to it later because I don't really rely on being inspired for a certain piece. So I've managed to find a way to work outside of inspiration because I think if I was waiting on inspiration to create my artwork, I would never create anything like sleep deprivation. And I have had like extreme iron deficiency for the past three years. Like I just, motivation is very low for me. Like I just don't have energy. And so my uh, internal motivation and discipline is what pushes me every day because I love my job and I love what I do. So if I don't do it, like nothing's going to happen. Mm. And that to me is enough to sit down at the easel every day and do what I do. And when I start painting, I love it. Like um, I get into the mode, but it could be the same with any piece. It's not like I'm more, it's like I'm more motivated to do the pieces that are more uh, fresh. Obviously coming back to an old one isn't great, but I can do it. Like it's yeah. not. It has to be done, so I'll do it. <laughs> kind of so, thing. So when we talk about you, the, the the motivation, you know, not necessarily being in in. I mean, obviously you're inspired, but you know, what's your thought process when you're coming to do like a new collection or a new mm. piece or something like that? You've got two amazing pieces up behind you. You know, the horses where you've got the scales and everything in there. It's just like yeah. I, when I was watching you creating it, I was like you know what was it that made you sort of think about oh I'm going to incorporate these two things is it just something that comes to you or I wanted to push myself I love the pressure of working on something new and challenging where I think I can't do it then I want to do it because that to me is more interesting than the actual joy of creating it now I say that carefully because the joy of creating it for me is the challenge of the piece And I love wildlife and I love being able to do something different and being able to paint something real that isn't actually real. So like incorporating the different elements into the skin, like that one was a very experimental piece. And I've been building up to doing something like that for the past like three or four years. And that challenge just drives me like the complexity and not being able to figure out how to do it exactly and then somehow being able like it just that I'm captivated by that and like currently I'm working on so that flamingo piece that you Mm. see there was like a little study and I'm doing a larger piece where I created like four or five layers of flamingos in one piece and created a cohesive image like it's huge it's like one point three meters wide by 1.1 or something like that. Like it's a huge painting and it's got about 22 birds in it. And they look like they're 
ballerina dancers warming up for a show kind of a thing like that there's something more fluid and graceful about it than just a standard wildlife image like I want to go further than what you can see in the photo because that I think is what wildlife art is missing like just that extra level of artistic creation that makes it it's still photorealistic because that's the style I love but it's more than that and that's been the challenge that I've had is being able to do that on a technical basis like as an artist myself being actually physically able to do that and then actually being able to do it like actually doing it Mm. that's that's where I get the kick that's where I'm really motivated obviously you work from photos Mm. I know in some of your series you've sort of whether you've manipulated them uh, digitally or whether you've just sort of brought Mm. different photos together and had an idea and everything. Do you take your own photos? Do you use other photographers' photos? Do you have an idea in your mind about what your photo needs to look like and then you go searching for it? How does that, how does that process work? It all starts with the idea in my head and then I actively search for references online I have a whole collection of my own photographs that I've taken. If I have access to the animals that I want to paint for that particular idea, then I will go take photos of them. Mm. If I don't have access, like there are no wolves or bears around here in South Australia. So I don't, I can't really go out and get, so I'll, I'll approach photographers online A lot of the times my ideas require such a mashup of photographs that the finished image that I put together looks nothing like any photographer's actual work. So in that instance, it's like a whole new image. It's like a Frankenstein of animal parts to create a believable animal, like the the chimp that I painted a few years ago there's no reference photo to point to like one reference photo to say this was taken by that photographer because that animal doesn't exist so in that instance I'm creating my own reference and if there was a part of the painting that is very recognizable as a certain photographer's image then I will get their permission to include their photograph if it's one or two that it looks like then I will um, partner up with the photographer and yeah. work that way yeah and, and and so do you sort of spend have a, a period of time where you're 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 sort of constantly searching for the photos or is it just almost mm-hmm. like a, an organic thing you know you'll, you'll sit and have a cup of tea and look through some photos and then do a bit of this or or is it like right this is my time for you know, finding the uh, whatever inspiration I've had and pooling all of those photos together. Is that kind of part of that that whole process or is it just sort of? It's a bit know, of everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of everything. Usually the start of the composition, like where I'm really trying to get the idea into a physical form on the iPad, mm-hmm. I will sit down and that's what I'm doing. So that I can complete the vision and see whether or not it's an idea I need to pursue or not. So the larger flamingo work that I'm working on at the moment, it took me about six weeks to put together. Mm. So that's obviously not six weeks of nonstop work on that. It's put the composition together and then put it down and come back to it later to see it with fresh eyes. And I think I redid the composition about 13 times before I landed on one that I couldn't make better in mm. any way. And so a lot of the times, like the the horse with the scales and the fur, that I almost couldn't do a draft on the iPad because I couldn't get the right fur with the right shadow. Like I had to do it physically on the painting to make it come together. So nice. the reference searching for that was sort of futile because I didn't end up putting anything together really on the iPad I sort of found individual images as I went along Mm. and then did it as I as I went so each piece is different and comes together in its own way (laughs) like they have their own personality from the start (laughs) amazing it's amazing it's absolutely amazing you know obviously this is your sole source of income 
and your your paintings I imagine go for you know a, a huge amount which is amazing I know you did the the cheetah where, where you were you know it went for the, the the charity auction thing which was incredible just looking at, at um you know what you're drawing live and then raising all of that money it just absolutely amazing um you teach as well mm-hmm. I do is that is is the teaching side of stuff because I know you have uh, tutorials and everything like that available I don't know whether you do um workshops and stuff but is that very much part of your I guess recurring revenue is that is that part of of what sort of helps you to create your income so that you've got because when, yes. when you're painting when you know when you're painting yeah it, it's it's obviously going to you know it's mm. going to uh, make a lot of money but then you've got that period of time where you know it's not like you're bashing yeah. out a piece every week no. <laughs> no. gosh I wish I could how yeah that'd be ideal but uh the teaching part um, a financial um, residual income for for um, getting over the the bottom line, but it's also part of a larger vision that I have for Carla Grace Art. I am self taught, like completely from start to finish. And when I was at the start of like, I knew I wanted to be a realistic wildlife painter, and I would search for anything to teach my like to figure out like I struggled with fur how how do other artists do fur and there was just nothing there was absolutely nothing that was instructive that was practical that didn't have any like there was it was boring it was it was stale to watch it was like trying to pull out teeth kind of thing to just make it work and I couldn't find the right courses or the course was I just wanted that one feature so that I could take the knowledge from just that one element, like how to paint fur and use it across the board. So I decided that I would create a tutorial. Like my first one was how to paint fur because that was like, I basically I'm creating the tutorials that I wish that I had when I was trying to figure it out. But the other side of my entire tutorial platform and the coaching and the transparency and the amount of information that I share on my social media pages. Wildlife art doesn't really feature in sort of the art history timeline. Like when you study art history at school or uni, it's not, you barely ever hear wildlife mentioned. And I want to change that because I think wildlife is associated with sort of like home decor art more than like an art movement. And I think that comes down to perhaps the level of quality of the painting as a as a broad sort of spectrum stereotype or just the way artists just paint wildlife like directly. Like the biggest criticism I hear about wildlife, realistic wildlife painting is why not just take a photo? So I want to make a difference in sort of the timeline of history, like over the course of my career, like this is long-term thinking and bring wildlife back on the scene, like somehow make it. So that's why I want to push beyond the photograph and make it more than what you could just take a photograph of. The only thing is I can't do that as just a single artist. So that's why I am sharing as much of my knowledge as I can, because I want other wildlife artists to be able to pick up their game as well and sort of push their wildlife art a bit further while still being like incredibly beautiful work to look at so like not weird not weird wildlife art still beautiful but more than what you can get in a photograph so that's sort of where it's all heading for me that's what that's my dream really it's to see wildlife become a serious topic in the art history timeline (laughs) Oh, what? well, that's an, a, an incredible thing to be um, uh, working towards. And, and, and I'm guessing, you know, you, with, with all of your followers, and I know that there are, there are other wildlife. I mean, I, I, do, I have drawn some wildlife, but it's not, I've, I've kind of come from that pet portrait thing. So that's the, the yeah. you know, the majority of stuff. But, um, you know, I do follow quite a few wildlife artists. There's a, uh, an artist who I had the pleasure of working with a couple of years ago, and um, we did a, 
I did a session in London and it was it was a a strategy session that we were doing Mm -hmm. that I was running and we were talking about where do they want to be and she was very much around you know uh, she wanted to be supporting wildlife and she wanted again to be kind of pushing her work and I've seen just recently that she has is she's really starting to push her work and everything I'm I'm positive she follows you she's called Claire Heffron and she's been doing some amazing amazing work using uh, kind of becoming a little bit looser with her work but really looking Mm -hmm. at uh something that again you wouldn't necessarily get in a photograph and it's it it's wonderful to see people being able to get inspiration from other artists and artists not being so worried that people might oh my goodness they're going to copy my idea or I'm going to keep this technique serious uh, you know secret yeah, or anything. Yeah. because no matter what you put out and no matter what you help people with and share your techniques nobody's mm. ever going to be you exactly it takes there's there's a certain amount of individuality like no matter how many people learn how they paint how I paint fur they're not still, they're still not going to be able to paint fur the way I paint fur, just the same as my handwriting is going to be different to their handwriting kind of a thing. So, and there's also individual marketing and there's individual capacity as well. So not everyone's going to want to become ultra collectible and expensive because the more expensive the art becomes, the more pressure there is on the art. So like there's, at every level, there's a sacrifice to make as an artist so the higher up the more sacrifices you have to make sort of as an artist in terms of so many different things yeah not everyone has the same ambition mm-hmm. um, I used to work at an art store part-time before I became full-time artist and I always remember this artist coming in she was at at art uni um, she was doing like big expressive abstract acrylic paintings and she had bought the wrong paint or something and it completely threw her painting off. And she said to me, she says, I don't want to ever paint when I'm not enjoying it. And I looked at my colleague and I was like, well, that's one less artist to compete to compete with because mm. when you're doing art full time, you're not going to love doing it every day because every day it's a job. So like I always remember that there are different levels of um, capacity in artists. And you know what? If someone is able to make a huge success out of their career because of the information and the techniques and the advice that they get from me, I like the honor. Like if I'm an artist that they think about when they look back on their career and like how it started for them, if they think Carla Grace, really help make this possible for me like I just it's all worth it like I just like I'm get goosebumps like that it just for me to be able to be part of another artist's career there is no honor greater honestly to be able to lift the glass ceiling off of another person's limitations just to me that just yeah it's wonderful Definitely. You know, it really is. It really is. And to see, I'm sure you see, you know, people who have taken your courses and everything and you see them getting better and better uh, or Mm. they've kind of been struggling with something. And then it's like, oh, I've got it now that they've had that, you know, light bulb. I think as a as a as a teacher, as somebody who teaches Mm. to see your students progress and go Mm. on to, you know, have a career or be published or you know, take on their first commission or, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. It's the most wonderful thing. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. So I can't imagine like for me, like now when I see an artist, they're incredibly talented, but they don't share anything. Mm. Like they, they don't share anything. For me, I lose a little bit of respect for that artist. Like I get that it's intellectual property and you work really hard to, establish something that is unique to you and then to just give it away like that feels that's hard like Mm. that is really hard uh because it it takes a lot of hard work to earn your degree of knowledge and your degree of technical ability and then to just hand it over to someone else on a platter who's then just going to turn around and say well give me more 
Yes. You know, it's devastating. Like, it's, it's there's, yeah, anyway, um, it's just, <laughs> I so I get it. I absolutely get it. But there's also just so much more to it. I don't know. For yeah. me, I think it's a different personality as well. So uh, yeah, to their own. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is how I got into teaching because my natural way of sharing is to get really excited about what I'm doing, you know, and I, I mean, I started drawing in 2016 and I just started sharing on, on Facebook and it was yeah. just like, oh my goodness, I've, I've put these two colors together or I've used this new surface and I found that this mm. works really well. And, you know, yes, you, you do get stuff from other people, particularly if you're on social media and, you know, yeah. I'm self-taught, but I, I'm, there's definitely that osmosis from other mm. artists that you kind of ask questions about and they're, and they're generous with their knowledge. But for me, ev- almost every single piece of content that I put into social media, mm. I'm sharing something. Yeah. Like yeah. I've done this or I've done that. And if somebody asks me a question, I try and answer, mm. you know, and people do become a little bit you know, they just want to know more and more and more and more and more, mm. we, you know, which is fine. And I completely understand mm. that. And and I think you do have to have some, there has to be some boundaries as to say, look, yes. you know, yeah, you know, go and have a look at one of my tutorials or whatever, you know. Or ask Google. <laughs> or ask Google. <laughs> yeah. There are some things yeah. that you can Google, mate, and yeah. you should yeah. do that because yeah. it teaches you a level of independence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I think people just get so excited about stuff, don't they? Mm. They just get so yeah. excited about learning bits and pieces. You know, yeah, people are people are funny. So with your work, you, you obviously have the, you know, people who collect your work who are waiting for certain pieces mm. in the wings. Do you have work in galleries? Do you have a gallery that supports you, or is that not a route that you've gone down? I am happy to work with a gallery. Uh, as long as I know that they can do better than what I can do. So I have never had any issues selling my work for the price that I want for my work. And galleries have never, well, so far, the galleries that have approached me or that I have approached have never had the same level of ambition or belief, I think, in the value of my work. And so I will just wait for the perfect fit, I think, of a gallery. If a gallery approaches me and says I can get it for three times what you're asking, I will say go for it. Earn your commission. That is great. <laughs> um, no, that that is it's so refreshing to hear that because I think there's a there's a lot of kudos, you know, I think particularly in the UK about getting your work into galleries and but I used to work in an art gallery and actually the amount of pressure that they put on individual artists is huge, mm. you know, yeah. and, and also not necessarily paying them, you know, the commission, yeah. for, commission for yeah. the gallery is really big, but there is that kudos in the UK, you know, oh, I'm going to get your, if you've got your work in a gallery, that's great. But that doesn't mm. necessarily mean that you're getting the, the most from your piece. So, I love the fact that you know that your marketing is the best for your work. I think that's brilliant. I think I'm lucky in that though, because I do have a very good business mind and I'm good at marketing and I'm good at creating content. I'm good at engaging. Mm-hmm. It's not something that comes easily, I think, to artists because there's a there's a, a degree of being able to talk yourself up for those um, audiences and it's hard to do that as an artist because I know that a lot of artistic personalities are a little bit more close and it's not about me, it's about the art. But when you are self-represented, it's the salesmanship as well as the art, like creating the value in the entire experience. And that's quite confronting for artists to do. So in that sort of context, then using a gallery is great because they do the showmanship, they do the sale, they drive the marketing, they they do all of that. So galleries are great there is still so many people come to me saying I wish I could see your work in a gallery like I would love to see it in person in a gallery and I get that absolutely so we are currently putting through council the build of a studio which I will be able to do private viewings in but that's still very local down where we are so like galleries 
So my experience with galleries in the past haven't been great. They've damaged artwork. I pay for shipping. I pay for framing. And they want 30, 40, 50%. And they're like, but if you get anyone asking about the artwork, you send them to us. And to me, I'm like, and they're like, we, we do this together. And I'm like, hang on, you haven't done any work. And then you're asking me to give you 50% of the sale. So there hasn't been like big thinking gallery people in my road of my artistic journey so far. But I know that there are wonderful galleries out there that do incredible work for their artists. They're very dedicated to marketing and selling and pursuing sales and pursuing different sales channels for their individual artists. I haven't come across one yet for my own work, but I know that they are out there and I'm not actively pursuing them because there's no no pressure at the moment. I guess as well, when you've found your way, you know, and you've, Mm -hmm. with your pricing structure, when you first started painting, did you find Mm. it difficult to put a price on your work? Did you know that you needed to put a price on your work that actually, you know, represented what it was worth? Or has that been a, a quite a big work in progress? I think the price of an artist's work is like a lifelong process because as the career changes and the market changes, there's a there's a constant adjustment to everything. And for me, when I started out, so obviously starting out, my technique wasn't as good, but I was still a really great artist. I mean, starting out, I'm talking, I was like 17. So someone said to me, if you're constantly grabbing a figure out of the air, it's not going to be a sustainable model to price your work in. So you need to come up with something that is like a logical process that if someone asked you, because people are absolutely in their right to ask for a breakdown of pricing structure, if you're not able to provide that, it's not a very, it doesn't provide a lot of confidence around what you're what you're providing people because it's a service and a product. Mm-hmm. So when you want to be legit, it's not just a matter of guessing and hoping for the best. So I sort of like after drawing for a few years, so I would be like a hundred bucks for a portrait when you're 17 is awesome. Like a hundred bucks when you're living at home (laughs) after drawing for a weekend, that's great. But then as like a sustainable business model, I was like, how can I actually like knowing how long it takes me to do a certain portrait. So I knew myself very well, how long it would take me to do a certain drawing in what medium and the size. So my formula when I first started out was the size of the drawing in inches square because it was a more reasonable number. So the inches square of a drawing multiplied by the level of detail or the number of hours plus tax and materials, then whether or not they were shipping or framing. So then it would come up with a very consistent number um, for me to provide quotes on. And that's what I used for like the first two or three years. And then eventually it became a standard size versus price and then detail. And then I became acrylic only. So then the pricing structure became based on the size and the level of detail as well. And then there were a lot of different value elements that added to it. So it became a supply and demand price structure. So as soon as I didn't need that formula to determine the price, when the market was determining the price, that's when it sort of started to escalate a little bit more. So that then also came down to my ability as as a business marketing <laughs> agent <laughs> to then sort of price my work around supply and demand because people are always only going to pay what they believe it's worth they'll they'll never really pay more than that so it gives you a pretty good gauge to work with when that starts to happen oh yeah that yeah that really really interesting to hear you know because i think so many artists struggle with putting a price on their work you know mm. particularly when they're starting out and so many yeah. people have prices that are just not well they're not sustainable at all yeah <laughs> you know yeah and you get the worry that 
oh, um, you know, well, so-and-so down the road is they're only charging 50 pounds. And if I charge, you know, 200 pounds, well, they're never going to come to me because they're going to pay the 50 pounds. And and for me, that's sort of like, "Mm, it doesn't really work like that because your audience who's going to pay 200 will never pay 50. You know, it's all all about your your audience and everything. But it's definitely, Mm -hmm. I see so many artists who want to, create that that you know living from their art but just don't have the confidence to be able to charge Mm. yeah at the beginning when I was doing more commissions so many people want cheap good art so eventually um like I give them my quote and I'd be like no that's too much and I say well what's your budget let me know what you want to pay for this portrait and they'd let me know I say well this is what I can do for that amount of money so then I'd still get the job but I would do it for the amount and I put the so like I would do so if someone wanted a portrait of their child but they didn't want to pay 250 for uh, just a, a pencil drawing like full detail black and white a4 they didn't want to pay the 250 because that would take me a day and I'd say well if you only want to pay 150 for it I just do less detail so and then I'd have an example of it so I'd have like almost three stages of quoting so the ideal, what I would prefer to do, that was usually my top tier quote. If someone was not interested in doing that. So have examples of all the different range of work. So you know exactly how long it's going to take. So then the next stage down, I knew that the, doing this level of detail would only take me four or five hours. So it's like just focal detail where the eyes, the nose and the mouth were really detailed and high contrast. And then the rest was all like a little bit more arty. And then people would be like, oh, that'll be great. So then I know then I'd still get that job. So being able to be flexible, like now I don't do it because I don't have to and I can be more selective about my commissions. But at the start when I wanted to keep the jobs coming in so that I knew that I had a consistent income, then I would have that open conversation with people and say, if this price doesn't work for you, I can do it at this level of detail. This is what it would look like and I can do that for you. And then usually nine out of 10 times, they'd be like, yes, that's perfect. I'd love it. Yeah. (laughs) And then they'd tell their friends and then it just sort of like goes on from that. But if as an artist you do do a drawing or an artwork for someone and what you've been paid makes you feel ripped off, then you know it's not enough. You you just have that gut-wrenching feeling. You just know that that was not enough for that artwork. So either increase your quote or decrease the amount of time that it takes you to do that artwork. Mm. So whether it's a tweak in your technique or you provide that different scale of options for people to choose from where it's still a good artwork but just doesn't like drain you as an artist to create, like, I don't know, an experiment with yourself as an artist, then you're able to sort of open up your options for income as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really, yeah, some really, really good points there. I, I know I do see people sometimes, you know, offering these smaller portraits. In a way, I get that, but in another way, mm. I'm like, actually, I'd be pushing and marketing my the, you know, the ones that I really love to do, you know, particularly established artists, you know. Mm. And it's like I I get really um I get really frustrated for artists who 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 put sales on. I I just oh, yeah. I just get re, you know all discounted this weekend or you know Black Friday or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness, don't discount your art. Yeah, <laughs> I get really frustrated about that. Um, yeah. yeah, I understand discounting productions, so like prints or like a print run or something. Yeah. when you're talking about stock, but like when yeah. it comes to an original painting. Mm discounting running a sale trying to get the sales up I, I understand the desperation behind it to try and get the sale because it's better it's just money sitting there kind of a thing it's it's um wasted income mm. I don't know everyone's on a different journey as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it is always sad to see artists devaluing their themselves um but I also understand it <laughs> yeah yeah like I'd rather I'd rather hold on to an artwork rather than sell it for less than it's worth yes at the same time I understand the need to move things on exactly you know and and some have the capacity to be able to do that and and others don't 
And uh, yeah, I, I mean, the marketing side of stuff, I think an, an awful, you were saying before, a generalized personality of an artist is some, you know, a lot, a lot of people do not know how to market themselves and how mm. to write content that connects with others. And, you know, you, you, you do find people who copy, you know, they might copy another person's way of marketing. And of course, that's not sustainable. But yeah. it's a way of getting their stuff out there and creating content that's, you know, sort of gets them moving. But it's um, for me because I, I, I kind of coach people in the in the business space as well. Mm. Um, and it's always about being them, you know, take the word marketing out and just put me in the, not me, but them in there. That That's what mm. they're doing. They're just talking about themselves. And if people yeah. can become a little bit more confident in talking about themselves, then, you know, they, yeah. they tend to find that connection with people who are, you know, who are similar. But, yeah, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I wish there was a rule that just worked for everybody. Yes. That, you know, the one yeah. rule that just fit all. <laughs> uh, I know. But we're all so different and we all react in such a different way and we all behave mm. in such a different way. It's, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's impossible. We've all got to find our own way, haven't we? I'm, I'm not going to keep you any longer. Um, you've been an absolute joy, Carla. It's been so lovely to talk to you. And I'm, you know, listening to the, the sort of the inspiration and the process and everything behind process sounds such a bog standard word doesn't it for what you do um but it's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you thank you so much um for Thanks taking for the time me. out oh gosh honestly, <laughs> my absolute pleasure um but just been so so nice to chat to you thank you <laughs> Thanks, oh, well, I hope you have a wonderful day oh and I hope you have the lovely rest of your evening <laughs> thank you all right thank you so much Thanks. bye bye, bye. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of my It's a Bonnie Old Life podcast. If you did, I'd be so grateful to you for emailing me or texting a link to the show or sharing it on social media with those you know who might like it too. My mission with this podcast is all about sharing mine and my community's experience and hope by telling your fascinating personal stories, championing the other amazing humans in my personal, professional and membership community and to create another channel through which I can support you to realise your coloured pencil and life dreams. If you haven't done so yet, please help me on my mission to spread positivity and joy throughout the coloured pencil world by following me on my socials at Bonnie Snowden Academy or by getting on my list at bonniesnowdenacademy.com. And remember, I truly believe if I can live the life of my dreams doing what I love, then you can too. We just need to keep championing and supporting each other along the way in order to make it happen. Till next time.